Hey everybody, what's going on? Rob Cestrino back here with our amazing race exit interview and recap. Jessica Lee and Mike Bloom are standing by for the recap of episode number 10. But what we're going to do up first is that we're going to talk to the most recently eliminated team before we get into the recap. And I'm very sad to say that that is going to be Team Fun, Becca and Floyd eliminated once again on leg number 10. And they are on the line with me to talk about it. So let's go ahead and patch them in. Becca and Floyd, are you there? Hi, Rob. I just can't wait to... To tell Brett and Chris that we got to talk to the real life Rob. <laughs> yeah, 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 in their faces. You guys get the real interview. Uh, very sad to see you guys go out on the Amazing Race. Um, I'm big fans of, of yours. That I, I just I really love the energy that you guys uh, bring to the show. And even in a defeat, other than when Becca said she was going to throw an egg in the guy's face, uh, I thought you guys uh, handled everything real well. <laughs> I didn't throw the egg in his face. You didn't. You didn't. Yeah, there you go. That's it. I also want to say that I'm I'm holding that a one of our listeners, Ariel, has uh, sent me. I have a, a fun meter here, so uh, I'm setting it only uh, at fun right now. Uh, even though I'm talking to you guys, okay. but s- sad to see you guys out of the race. Room to grow. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh uh, yeah. Okay, so uh, talk about what really was the issue. Was the biggest stumbling block the fact that you guys couldn't find where the detour was supposed to be? Yeah, well, so it was really like, I mean, you look at hindsight 2020, but there was really like a chain of events that day that ultimately led to, to you know, what happened. Um, and I, I, I don't know, but like any one of those mistakes could have hopefully saved us. So like, yeah, it took us forever after the Yacht Club. We, we basically... Based on like a map we read, we didn't look at the most efficient trail and ended up taking this super roundabout way through like the entire Dutch countryside to get to like the cow farm when it would have been easier just to kind of like bike a mile or so up the main road. So that cost us 30 minutes right there. And then um, besides that, and then ultimately the egg cracking and not checking the egg, we had a pretty good leg and we were told that we ultimately finished 15 minutes behind Nicole and Victor so you know you start playing this game in your head like you could have made up minutes there and minutes there and obviously the two big mistakes we made which was trying to find the detour and the crack egg would have covered that deficit so yeah yeah Becca, I want to talk about this egg because I, I really felt that I was 100% on your side about throwing the egg in the guy's face because, I mean, that, that was such a minor hairline crack. If I was in the grocery store and I opened the eggs and, and I saw a crack like that, I'd, I'd still buy that that dozen eggs. I appreciate that. I actually said, he, he said, I can't, because well, the conversation went longer than that. He said, I can't sell this egg. And I said, no, no, I will sell this egg right now. I was like about to go market this egg on the streets to the to the market people, ready to sell this egg, and and they were like, no, that's like that's not acceptable. Uh, <laughs> it's just the egg can I cannot accept this egg was the bottom line. Yeah, I thought that was real ticky tack. Uh, so uh, very <laughs> very unfortunate that you guys got nailed on uh, that one. What, what about being uh, U-turned by uh, Nicole and Victor? A- any hard feelings for them U-turning the two of you, or that's just life on the Amazing Race? I mean, I for, for me. 
It's just life. Yeah, it was the, it was the most strategic move to do. Yeah, you know, because they knew they were behind the pack and they suspected they that we were the no behind them. So yeah, yeah, that's yeah. not the way we did. Yeah. All right. So what what is it about leg number ten, Floyd, that is such a problem for you guys? Are you is leg number ten cursed? No, we're no, we're not satisfied <laughs> with saying that that's our kryptonite or that the curse. It's just a coincidence. But I mean, ultimately, <laughs> what I can say this time that really like caused us to be a downfall is like there was just a lot of emotions and a lot of uh, in in the moment, a lot of um, momentum that was catching up our thoughts and a lot of a lot of anxious energy that we weren't processing and just just stress essentially that was causing us to really just push forward, especially after we had been U-turned. So that was some, and I mean, you know, I guess I could talk about in the first season on 29, I think that's some of the same, I felt, I mean, it was a bit different. I felt differently this time, but I know on the shrimp trap bicycle, um, you know, even like there's a lot of desire to stay ahead of the pack and a lot of desire to not disappoint Becca and, you know, stress when I saw other two passing me on their shrimp trap bikes that caused me not to think rationally, not tie the traps on enough and not, you know, ultimately try to ride the bike and to conserve my energy, right? So, like, it, it, it was it was the same kind of um, anxious and stressed energy that expressed itself in a different way that kind of mentally inhibited us, is what I would say. Yeah, I know the brakes didn't go your way in this leg of the race, but I, I thought that you guys did incredibly well in this season and uh, really were dominant at times along the way that there were so many tasks that seemed to be uh, playing to your strengths. Do you guys have any particular favorite moments from this season? Thanks for that. Uh, I know I can go back to that one of my happy places even though like i love the alps and the switzerland leg just joyously it doesn't even feel like it was an amazing race leg it just felt like a really fun day uh <laughs> it did feel like an amazing race leg but the vietnam challenges is definitely one of my happy places of just yeah. to experience dance troop in the glow suits and seeing floyd yeah. be a rock star on karaoke i was just i i can't very really track very many experiences in my life where I felt that overwhelmingly full of joy and and like happiness and excitement and just feeling yeah it just feels so good to feel like you're like crushing the game and like having a good time like all those things happening at the same time is just like dream upon dream upon dream like blasting out and it's so fun to be able to watch that and share that with so many millions of viewers as well yeah well, what about for you, Floyd? I mean, pretty much the same thing. Yeah, that Vietnam leg was pretty was pretty crazy. The starting line was also really crazy. I, it was stressful, but it was also like we're here with like these other reality TV legends. Like, there's Tyler and Corey. Like, oh my gosh, it's gonna be crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I guess for me, really another really cool leg was Dubai. Um, not only because you know, we crushed it again and got first, but also (laughs) I literally had been like looking, reading about the Burj Khalifa like a week or two before, like before the race. And like, all of a sudden I was like there seeing it. So that was just one of those moments where I was like, I'm like, I'm seeing something that I've always like dreamed about going to in Dubai. Um, That was really cool. But yeah, pretty much anytime we really, I mean, whether or not we were crushing challenges or not, every country has a little something that's just so memorable and like, makes you appreciate being on the race just to like echo again so uh, we get so involved and, and caught up in like the race and the challenges and like the countries and the experience with that but 
another huge part, like Floyd just said, is the people that you get to meet on this show are, it's like what an eclectic, unique group of humans that not only we get to see on a race level uh, under stress, but like on just a really human level, getting to connect with such a variety of different people uh, with different perspectives. And so I think that is actually a really... Uh, a really valuable thing and seeing being like on screen with Rupert who like is like the timeless man who we I watched when I was like a child on Survivor and now we're like sharing a TV screen that was mind-blowing to me as well <laughs> I yeah. didn't know you're such a big Rupert fan I, was, I mean Survivor Amazing Race growing up yeah that was that was the uh evening gig yeah um was there one team or two in particular that you guys are especially close with yes i would i would say i think floyd would probably agree with this uh i'm definitely closest with colin and christy and tyler and Corey. Mm -hmm. um we've also shared some experiences post-race that have brought us closer together and uh and Chris and Brett also have, I've gotten yeah. to see them multiple times since. Yeah. Also, Leo, I haven't really Leo. had the opportunity to really interact Leo. with Leo much after the race, but he would always jokingly, like, in the middle of the lag or in airports, he'd be like, hello, Floyd, and would just, like, <laughs> poke fun at me all the time. Like, I actually really enjoy that. Yeah, I think he's a cool guy, so, like, I'm, I'm hoping I get to connect with him here in the, in the near future. You know, Phil mentioned it on the mat, the uh, special relationship that the two of you have. I'm curious, outside of the Amazing Race, how much interaction do you guys uh, tend to have? None. We hate each other. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> it's all for the show. <laughs> yeah, no, we have. I mean, because we, we're, we're dating. Both, like, Everyone both. knows. <laughs> oh. Yeah, right? Congratulations. No, we, no we're not. <laughs> I'm going to ride that joke, but people think, people actually think we're, we're not dating. Uh, but yeah, we both, <laughs> we both live in Boulder. We like to watch the show together, do recaps together, but we've also started to like, um, like kind of trying to take like who we are to the next level. Uh, so like we actually gave our first, uh, speech to a youth leadership conference. I think it was like two weekends ago and we're, we're actually like really enjoy public speaking and sharing our story on a deeper level. Um, so we've, uh, so that's caused us to get, get closer uh, in a professional sense, but also in like a personal sense as we like dive deeper. So yeah, we very much hang out and, you know, like we both obviously live different lives and have different interests, but we still, we still have some similarities that make us friends. Yeah, that's cool. In terms of the beatboxing, uh, in terms of the rapping, uh, how much uh, preparation goes into that? Do you guys uh, rehearse any of this or is everything just on the fly? Freestyle. Yes. Freestyle rapping. Uh, yeah, we we did work on a rap during the race that we like so that we could like remember the legs and what happened or it definitely helped me remember them. Uh, Floyd remembers them regardless. But and yep. also it's just a fun way to like fill time during waiting time. Mm -hmm. But I think every single leg interview or pit stop interview we had, they said, Why don't we close it off with a freestyle? And so they only aired a, a couple of them. Yeah. But it's yeah, it's just a way we have to process, to connect, to to just express some energy in a fun and creative way when, you know, everything else is like stressful. <laughs> yeah, but there's there's no preparation. We just do it for all That's things. why it comes out to people. <laughs> Were you too impressed with Phil's performance uh when he was freestyling with you two? Very much. Yes. <laughs> 
Phil is a boss on the freestyle. In the time, yeah. He just goes like I just respect that so much. I've I've just been in so many situations where I've yeah we've said okay like let's freestyle and people are like oh no definitely not or like okay maybe I'll try and Phil is just like okay kick me that beat let's go. (laughs) Yeah, which is very much his uh, no opportunity wasted Phil mentality as he's. as he lives by and has been so inspiring with. Now, do you two think that there could be a, a third time out on the amazing race in the cards? There's been a lot of three time amazing race teams. Yeah. I mean, if they're possible, if they want to have us back, we'll do it. My theory is that they're not going to do another returnee race for several years. Um, and I, I think that's like, I'm, you know, I, I think that's fair. I think fans still really want to see new cast members. And I agree with that. Um, but if they want to have us back and people want us back, there there are a lot who do. There are also a lot who don't, but we don't care. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, it, yeah, I, I think it very much could be in the future. We'll just uh, keep that in the back of our mind. Is there anything in particular that you guys feel like that you need to work on to come back and do the Amazing Race again? Yes. Yes. Uh <laughs> <laughs> learning how to maintain a sense of calm. I mean, I think that's like so many humans are trying to do that in life in general. And Floyd and I, I remember a conversation where we were, yeah, just talking about like, okay, if we really want to be able to stay calm and like be loving and show up in the way we want to show up on the race, uh, we have to really start to integrate that into our daily life so that it's not like, okay, race is here. Let's, uh, remember all the principles we want for the race. It's like, this is something we, we want to integrate into our lives. Like, how do we work more collaboratively? How do we uh, el- leverage our strengths more and identify our weaknesses and communicate more clearly about what we need? And, uh, yeah, like, figure out how to tap into a calm place when things are feeling out of control. And that's something I teach all the time in rock climbing, but it's harder to apply uh for me to the race because i get really really competitive yeah well whatever uh colin and christy uh were able to do it seems like that uh they're able to uh go from uh whatever colin was uh way back when to uh super zen yeah, yep. no, that's a remarkable transformation. <laughs> it's been 15 years in the making. Yeah. Yeah, like the reality is yeah. stuff like that doesn't happen overnight, and no one should expect it to happen overnight, but I respect that they took that experience and just turned it, just like used it to benefit themselves and inspire others. And we'll, we'll definitely mm-hmm. follow that example and continue doing that ourselves. Floyd, is there anything that you guys don't like about The Amazing Race? <laughs> I don't know. U-turns? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, how many times have you guys got both U-turns uh, in yeah, uh, both third times time around? U-turns. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that ties the record. I'm not sure, but I, I think it might. But uh, what else do I not? I'm not honestly a big fan of uh, head-to-head. Not necessarily for the same reason that maybe all the other fans are saying, which I, I, I agree with that everyone who does like head to head, I agree with their analysis. More it's just like I it's not it's not really fun to live head to heads. Um they're just like it's just such a new unique stressor to the race that never existed before. So 
Yeah, both could go away. I'd be happy about that. Okay. Uh, I know you guys got to run to do more interviews. Uh, can you tell uh, the listeners uh, how to check out the recaps that you guys do and, and everything yes. else that you guys are working on? Thank you for that. Appreciate that. Uh, yeah, we are, have been doing recaps and are hoping to do more videos on our YouTube channel, Team Fun, on YouTube. And then we also have a website, Funstoppables, with an S, dot com. Uh, where we've been uh, selling some merch. We actually just got socks, fun fun stoppable socks in, which are super awesome. And a portion of those proceeds go to Give Kids the World, um, which is the nonprofit that uh, supports families with life-threatening illnesses. And so we got Funometer shirts and socks there. And then mostly we're really trying to leverage the speaking gig. So if anyone wants... Floyd and Becca to come speak at any event. Um, we we've been working on a speech and would love to set that up. And then yeah, Instagram Becca underscore beatbox Floyd JP three because he's the third. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, hope that uh, we can chat again uh, sometime and not just on uh, an exit interview. Yeah, yeah. That'd be yes. Okay. All right. Take care, Thanks, you two. Rob. All right. Uh, that I, I know you will, you but have too. fun. Okay. Oh, we okay. Shall. Now you too. <laughs> All right. Take care. Bye. All right. Let's get to our recap of this week's episode of the Amazing Race, and let's bring in the panel up first. She is our RHAP Chief Amazing Race Correspondent. Please welcome back Jessica Lee's. Jess, how are you? I'm doing great, Rob, and gosh damn it, I'm excited to cover this episode. Yes, very excited to get into uh, this uh, second to last week of The Amazing Race uh, with a man who did not get a week off last week. Here he is. Give it up for Mr. Mike Bloom. I'm so excited, Rob, to do this podcast the Dutch way, the Dutch even way. though I'm not entirely sure what that is. Yeah, but we're going to say it a lot, and we're going to really emphasize the Dutch way. Yeah, uh, I did love the sort of panel of, I guess they were supposed to be vaulting experts, but it just seemed like a, a panel of co- color-coordinated Dutch people standing around proclaiming what was the Dutch way and what was not the Dutch way. So to be fair, the Dutch way still involves apparently getting pretty soaked, and that's still being Dutch. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we'll talk about all that in this leg that ultimately it did in Team Fun. First off, Mike, thank you and Dan Heaton for uh, holding down the podcast. Uh, last week while Justin and I were away. Of course. Uh, we were not the people that got you in trouble with Brett and Chris, so I think we definitely we will deserve the lauding there. No, that was very funny. Uh, Brett and Chris, I, I do feel badly. But they really, they had one job the week that I was gone to not get eliminated. <laughs> I mean, in fairness. Yeah. That is very true. Uh, I'm, I'm, did you have any correspondence? I know Brett is a close friend of yours. Did you have any correspondence with him after you listened to all the fallout <laughs> yes. that happened with Darren? You know, we've been texting, and I, I had texted him and said that you know we would love to do a uh, deep dive with them after uh, the season proper is open in uh, or over in one week's time. So uh, look look for that. Uh, you know, uh, following the finale of the Amazing Race uh, next week when uh, whatever restrictions are. Are in place for the season will then uh, be by the wayside. 
And I mean, I know Jess tweeted about this, but I think we sorely missed out on a Brett and Chris presence this episode, not just because they're fantastic personalities, but uh, some of the tasks would have been very interestingly suited to them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, certainly. Okay, so... Jess, what's your reaction to uh, this leg of the amazing race and uh, seeing Team Fun go out? Well, it's always upsetting to lose Team Fun in fifth place. Apparently, this is when they go out now. (laughs) A thing. Uh, Yeah, it's a thing. They joined the ranks of Margie and Luke, the Afghanimals, Danny and Oswald, as all teams that... Every time they go on the show, they end up going out in the same spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've got that with some survivors, too, that have uh, duplicate finishes. I don't know if anybody's done it three times, though, Mike. I mean, we might see next episode. That might be a thing for FDF so, animals. Fun- but uh, mm. I feel like Team Fun might be on a level above what Jess listed out, though, because there are teams that repeat their places, but there are also teams that repeat their placements that have legs that involve very similar things. And apparently, Team Fun, whether intentional or not, it seems like their Achilles heel involves bikes in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. <laughs> Although, in very different ways, uh, was their downfall uh, from a bicycle where uh, Floyd had uh, the heat exhaustion from uh, the first time out and this time was just a lack of directions on the tandem bicycle. So I feel like that this loss must have been easier for them to swallow, Jess, because I feel like that this is a co-loss where last time out, I feel like that Floyd probably took a lot of the responsibility or or the heat, no pun intended. (laughs) Well, I think it's helpful that there was no roadblock this leg so there was no task that you could pin on one person uh, but I think I we actually had a really interesting tweet one of our listeners tweeted at us I actually just before we started the podcast so I barely got it in but um, I wanted to give a shout out to Tony Musioni who tweeted at us was it a coincidence or irony that Floyd was the downfall on leg 10 on season 29 and Becca was the downfall on leg 10 this season so I think that's up for debate do we think maybe Becca had more culpability this leg why because the egg was cracked yeah because I mean you could yeah, you could say that, at least from what we were being told, that Beck and Floyd were ahead of Victor and Nicole when they both got to the second half of their respective detours. But because Becca didn't check the bag to make sure that the egg was cracked or uh, wasn't cracked. And, you know, she told me uh, in her in my exit interview with them that I did for Parade this week that, you know, she fully admits that it was her mistake. She even, you know, patted the eggs out with grass and hay nearby to try to make sure they had a soft landing. But it was totally on her. Her, she says to not have checked those eggs before she got to the market and threatened to smash said egg on the poor market guy's face. Well, why was that all her responsibility and not Floyd's? I mean, she was holding the bag and Floyd, you know, asked, do we need to check the eggs? And apparently Becca said, no, we're good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. OK, I guess so. But uh, I said this to Team Fun, Jess. I thought that that was very ticky tack in terms of in my mind on the reality show, the egg broken is there is liquid oozing out and you are holding multiple pieces of shell in your hand. In my mind, that did not constitute a cracked egg. Yeah, but Rob, you're not the task judge. And you know, I, I are you are you insinuating that if that had been you and that had been your egg, you also would have cracked the egg in the guy's face? 
<laughs> yes, I would have. I would have had a Rob, very you, similar reaction. Are, are you accusing the Dutch of being egg snobs? Well, I thought that they were so ticky tack on the cracked egg, but then in terms of the pole vaulting, that we that. I guess just holding the pole and jumping in the water constituted getting across. Uh, I did not understand why the, and those judges were so loosey goosey as to what constituted leaping over the, 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 what, what, what do you call that? A ditch? Yeah, they call mm-hmm. it a ditch, mm-hmm. but doing it Rob, ditch style. He, yeah. Uh, sure. A Dutch ditch. <laughs> yeah. The Dutch ditch. Um, but Rob, you know, that's like, That's the bread and butter of this show. That's the bread and butter and eggs and cheese of this show is that every task is going to have a different set of criteria on it. And some tasks are going to be really, really ticky tacky. And some of the tasks are going to be like, eh, you did it. Okay, move on. And that's just like, that's the way of the amazing race. And we may never understand it. Right. They made Nicole jump 12 times across the uh, the ditch, and then she jumped in the air, landed in the middle of the water, and then it was like, okay, you're good, because you jumped. It's like, what? Maybe it's a thing of like, A, you need to be, to the Dutch way is one, being airborne, and B, crossing some sort of, I love Lucy-esque imaginary line down the river. If you cross onto the other side, technically, whether it's in the water or on the land, doesn't necessarily matter. That being said, we talked about this last week. We have seen this twice before in season 12 and 21, where I think it was both a roadblock and they were a bit more meticulous with their judging. Maybe it was just because it was such a part of the task, and I would argue maybe less less a part of a task than actually getting you know the eggs and cheese to the market intact. They sort of, you know, we're able to turn the other cheek to maybe some of the uh, the less Dutch way of, of pole vaulting. Yeah, the Dutch yeah. way is very loosey goosey. I feel like Jess, it should be you have to get at least one leg uh, on the other side. That one foot, one foot in bounds. Well, it seemed like it seemed like maybe it was that you had to at least touch the other side because I think on Nicole's last one she did sort of graze the bank, but it also could be. We've seen tasks where there's kind of a mercy rule in effect, where if you fail at it enough times, they just sort of arbitrarily decide you've passed on the last one. Mm-hmm. I think that that might have been more in play. But uh, so interesting, just uh, what rules were really, really strict and uh, what rules uh, were not. I also thought that this was a weird leg to have this uh, double U-turn again. First off, I, I thought that we were going to be done with the U-turns after the U-turn vote. Here's the double U-turn. Mike, uh, were you surprised to see another U-turn here? Absolutely. I mean, back during the U-turn vote, I think I'd asked, like, we can't see this again, right? How do you go back to a U-turn proper after you sort of break the mold with the U-turn vote? That being said, the mold that we went back to, I'm not completely mad at because we finally, for the first time in, I feel like, what, just like three seasons, finally got the U-turn after the detour where it's been for like the first 16 seasons that it had been in play. And as a result, you know, it's less about who happens to get, you know, to a certain route marker first and more so about who completes the detour first. So that being said, I was very surprised to see it, probably as surprised as the teams were, considering that they didn't get warning of the double U-turn until the clue right before it. But considering how things sort of played out and the drama it created, I don't know if I'm necessarily mad at it. I thought it was a perfect deployment of the U-turn. It was in the right spot. 
everybody kind of game theoried it out and decided what was going to be the best thing for their game. And then it got used and there was drama because of it. And we had a heartbreaking finish because of it. And, you know, as much as I love Team Fun and as much as I'm sad to see them go, I am never mad at anything that the Amazing Race does that makes me feel. And this made me feel, so I'm happy. Wow. That is very uh, not specific. So a- a- anything that the show has done that makes you feel you're okay with? Because I think there's got to be lots of times where well, it's made you feel angry. Yeah, I, I, would, I would put a caveat on that. Anytime it makes me feel rage at stupidity <laughs> on behalf of the producers, that's a feeling I don't want to feel. Okay. But I, I can feel angry at the racers and I feel okay about that. I can feel angry at racers doing stupid things. That's good TV. It's good TV when I'm happy that a team I like does well. And it's even good TV when a team that I like a lot goes out in a way that really hurts. Okay. Let's talk through uh, this leg of uh, the race uh, in Amsterdam. And uh, we had the teams uh, head out to Amsterdam and uh, we had a tandem bicycle, Mike. Have you guys ever ridden tandem bicycles before? Hmm. God, no. So I don't think I've ever ridden the two-person variation of a tandem bicycle. Uh, I've been in some sort of a contraption that allows like multiple people to uh, uh, ride a bicycle at the same time. Okay, are you talking about one of those like party bikes that comes with like a bachelor party? <laughs> uh, Rob, did you do this at your bachelor no, no, party? No, no, no. This is so I, I don't know what it's called, but they're definitely uh, this would be a uh, lamer bachelor party than going to Walt Disney World. I would say uh, no shade <laughs> on your on your recent trip there, Jess. I didn't go for my bachelorette party. Yes, yeah. Yeah, I think you're throwing shade at the wrong person, the wrong possible partner, Rob. Yeah. <laughs> in the know-it-all universe. <laughs> yeah, that that would be the conversation while you two are riding your tandem bike. Is how you would say this would be. You go you go to every location and say how much fun this would be to go here for your bachelor party than Walt Disney World. Well, Mike, could you tell me more about this bicycle bachelor party trip? Yeah, so this, so I didn't personally go, but you know, my wife, when she was part of a bridal party, went uh, with a bunch of people. So there's this thing called like a party bike where it's a big to do. It's a huge contraption where you could feasibly put like all five teams of the Amazing Race could be on a big party bike here where they're all pedaling and contributing to the forward momentum. And of course, you drink while you do it. Uh, so I mean, maybe from that regard, you'll say, well, you know, if two people are riding a bike and one person is, uh, you know, a little three sheets to the wind, that really, you know, increases the chance of them falling. Ten people, we're going to cast the net wide. Maybe that'll reduce the chance of any liability. But yeah, it's, it's the fir- I only heard about it like last year. I don't know if it's a relatively new thing, but it's the ultimate form of cooperation. And I'm assuming frustration. I can only assume steering the thing has to be just the worst thing in the world. Okay, well, we are going to get to our detour. High or dry? Jess. Now, was this uh, on the part of the Amazing Race producers, were they being cheeky here in Amsterdam with calling one half of the detour high? Maybe they're just Radiohead fans, Rob. I mean, I don't, Perhaps. don't put the lowest form of humor on them. <laughs> That's not the lowest form of humor. No, I guess not. Second lowest? <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, so high, high or dry, uh, where you had to either do some uh, ditch vaulting or raising a, a facsimile cow, Mike. <laughs> All right, so apparently this is a real thing. Not, not like the, the, the tradition, but apparently this does come from a real story. And Phil touched upon it, where apparently back in the days, an old school dam, uh, there was... The public the, hangings this, of livestock? No, no, no. Well, actually, funny story about <laughs> oh, that. No. We'll get to that. That's actually part of the story. Uh, so apparently this building, this bell tower, had become overgrown with weeds. And, you know, they See gathered I mean? all their leading, all the leading botanists, and they said, you know what, maybe instead of, you know, uh, doing the weeding on our own, <laughs> let's come up with this great idea. I, again, maybe they were consuming something to come up with this idea, but they said, if we hoist a cow up on a pulley, the cow can eat the weeds. Great idea in practice. Not so great in execution. Uh, I believe the cow... Unfortunately, met its end before it got up to the top of the bell tower, which I'm assuming is why they used said facsimile of the cow instead of the real deal. Yeah, but then everybody got to have steak for dinner that night, so it wasn't all bad. Just is this the antithesis of cow tipping? Um, Apparently, this is this is like the total polar opposite. But here's the thing that I don't understand about the translation to actual Amazing Race task. Is everybody flocked to this one, or maybe they moved in a herd to this one? And this was all before they had the context that that was not a real cow, and yet they still wanted to do it. What was mm-hmm. up with that? I mean, Colin wanted revenge. I think that's why he did it. <laughs> He's got. He needs revenge on like the entire bovine Species. genus. Yeah. Did, yeah. Well, look, look. Can we call the producers for a second? Because it really feels. Did they like stack the deck? I mean, you gotta feel like they were like, all right, let's we we gotta keep triggering this guy Colin. He's totally like Zen. We we gotta push his buttons in some way. We tried dressing up a cow, didn't work. Uh, we tried, you know, all these other types of forms of animals, didn't work. If we have to have him literally, you know, haul a cow, maybe that'll finally push his buttons. But I mean, Colin is unflappable apparently. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. maybe if they'd used a real cow, we could have gotten angry Colin, but. You know, it was basically like the mannequin equivalent. <laughs> so, are you saying that if with there's a spell, then maybe the cow will come to life? Yes, and the cow will turn into uh, Kim Cattrall. <laughs> yes. Okay. So, w- the everybody's going to go off to uh, raise the cows uh, here. Uh, Team Fun is uh, nowhere to be found. They're getting lost. Nicole and Victor are going to be uh, the ditch jumpers. And I've said that this episode really, for me, emphasized uh, that I think that Victor might be one of the all-time greatest athletes in the CBS Pantheon, Mike. Mm, I mean, it's not every day you get a former college pole vaulter on The Amazing Race. No, but in all seriousness, uh, now, Elfitvik, uh, that he was voted out three times in a season on Big Brother. So, like, let's let's not get it twisted in terms of gameplay or anything. But he did win the battle back two different times in that season. I believe he won a number of vetoes that he has really done the lion's share of the tasks for his team in this season. He had to pay 
pedal the bike the whole way. Uh, I just came away from this episode so impressed with uh, Victor's prowess. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with that. I mean, there is something significant about the fact that, though, I mean, we should also talk about the fact that I know that Victor eventually had to go back due to the U-turn, but I know Corey was also pedaling the bike apparently on his own. I know he already declared Tyler the E.T. to his Elliot, so I guess he sort of acted upon that role. And, I mean, Colin was straight up quasi-motoing that cow task, where even Christy admitted that it was pretty much him hauling that cow up the entire bell tower in 40 seconds. So, I do agree that I think Victor really showed his physical prowess, especially in this episode. And it just seems like he's an all-around fantastic racer, and I think that's a great reason why him and Nicole have not only balanced each other out so well, but have done so well up to this point. But it's been a, it's, it was an interesting episode to really highlight how you know, certain team members have certain skills that they're each uh, appropriately suited to, and this one really favored some certain people's skill sets. Yeah. And we talk about that every week. I feel like there's always a team where we're saying, oh, this was really to their strengths this week. And even last week, we were talking about how Floyd was perfect for the marching task. And so I think it's just a lot of Amazing Race we always say is luck. So it's kind of luck of the draw. I think also worth noting, I think if we're speaking about Colin's strength, uh, back in the day when Colin was first running this race, there was no rule in place that limited the number of roadblocks that one team member could do. And he basically did all of the roadblocks. So, I mean, that was 22-year-old Colin, but he's no stranger to pulling all of the weight, Mm -hmm. literally and figuratively. (laughs) Yes, yes. Yeah, he's, he may be 30-ish now, Rob, but that has not changed his uh, physical prowess. Right. Oh, yes. shade. Uh, Mike, uh, did you think that it was uh, Victor had gone full bloom uh, when he commented on uh, the cojones he had in this leg of the race? Yeah, I mean, this is something uh, you'd probably see on the party bike at like 4 p.m. after pedaling around Nashville for like seven hours. Uh, I guess killer fatigue will do that to you. But yeah, I mean, Victor was rocking a couple of cheese balls down there for a hot sec. I, I really hope they washed that cheese before they ate it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> this was going to a market, correct, Jess? Someone was going to buy that and take it home and put it on their dinner table. <laughs> I, I mean, I know that they're coated in wax. Um, so everybody that just started adding me right this second about cheese storage. Yeah, yes. I know that. But yes. I still feel like that's insufficient. And, and the people who are adding you saying that uh, maybe they were went up in value. To be fair, I think we know the Big Brother fan base. I think there are certainly <laughs> people who would want to bid on eBay for... Victor's crotch cheese. Oh, no. God. Take Big it Brother back. fans scare Take me. Take it back. Take it back. <laughs> That's not okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, Jess, uh, at this point, we're starting to uh, really get hit over the head. Uh, team fun is very lost. Yeah, they, they're they not doing well yeah. this episode. And it's I think it's the curse of the bikes. I, I feel like there's going to be some new... Five hole esque terminology we will have to build around bike this. hole, yeah, yeah, bike hole, <laughs> not bad. Uh, there was also that we heard from Tyler and Corey. Everybody's talking about the uh, double U turn, and I wrote in my notes, we are. 
because uh, I thought we were done with the, with the U-turns, Mike. Yeah, that's very odd. It's very much Teldone's show. I thought that the presence of the U-turn left with the Riley sisters uh, and the U-turn vote. But, no, I mean, I guess when you do have four-fifths of your remaining cast being amazing race teams that have all made it to this point in the game in their previous instances, they might think there might be another U-turn around. But... Again, I am just, you know, Kyler and Corey did reveal a bit of their hand this week where they said, look, we understand that we've come in fourth place or first place four times in a row, but we have had relationships with the other teams to the point where they would never U-turn us. I think they also got very lucky that they happened to not only get to the U-turn board first, but get there alongside Colin and Christy, who I think were very much of the mindset of, oh, no, we're, we're not going to U-turn anybody. Let's just keep going. <laughs> the polar opposite of the people that came right after them in the Afghanimals. Okay. Let's talk about the Afghan animals because uh, well, I, let's talk about this moment yeah. first okay before go for we it. get into the Afghan animals because i thought it was really interesting they pretty much prognosticated the entire rest of the league mm-hmm. at that point they said we don't need to use the u-turn colin and christy obviously don't need to use the u-turn there's three teams behind us the Afghan animals are going to roll up they're going to u-turn a team and then that team's going to u-turn the other team mm-hmm. and that's exactly what happened and i thought it was kind of like it was perfect illustration of how you use the u-turn and arguably when we talk about the afghanimals we can talk about whether they needed to do this or not but it it was pretty much if you're way out in front there's no there's no great reason to use the u-turn unless you're really like full of spite or you have a team in back of you that you really don't want to see eliminated for some reason and you want to make sure that that team stays in Right. I mean, this whole leg was, uh, you know, Tyler and Corey and Colin and Christy, and they were just cruising and uh, in, in no danger of, of going home throughout this entire leg. Uh, but here are the Afghanimals. And I felt like that they were so petty about, oh, we are going to give Nicole and Victor a taste of their own medicine. Now, finally, we will get our revenge. All they did was that they cast one vote against the Afghanimals in the U-turn vote. And to be fair, that it was really only half the team wanted that, that, that Nicole demonstrably did not want to use the U-turn on the Afghanimals. She wanted to U-turn Rachel and Alyssa. And the Afghanimals, like, oh, like, oh you, you've crossed us. Now you must be, you have to get U-turned because you said our name at the U-turn vote, Jess. Yeah, this was so weird and theatrical, and it just sort of felt like if it was any other team but the Afghanimals that were giving this kind of confessional, I would certainly break the fourth wall a little bit and assume that there's a producer standing behind them saying, okay, now, didn't you think about the fact that they cast a vote for you, and didn't that factor into your decision to U-turn them? And everything to lead people into saying that but the Afghanimals have been on the show long enough I don't think they need to have the producers feed them that I think they're just assuming that that's what they want them to hear I also don't feel like they're the kind of guys that do take that stuff personally I think they're always since the first day that they were on this show they've always been focused on what's going to make the best TV mm-hmm. and I think I think good TV was probably the whole reason that they deployed the U-turn and gave those reasons for doing it but Man, it was really it was really petty and really mean, especially the the line about happy birthday, Nicole. That's just that's yeah, just not okay. It was too much. It was too much. And who did they much. vote for? They vote did they vote for Colin and Christie? Um, I 
think so. Uh, yes, they threw a vote towards Colin and Chris. Right, because Brett and Chris uh, then cast the second the second vote against uh, Rachel and Alyssa, which sent them into the the double U turn in uh, the in the vote. Uh, I mean, why didn't Colin and Christie give the F animals a taste of their medicine? I mean, because Colin, Colin and, and Christy are... have in, they've embraced Zen. Zen, yes. And they've yeah, discovered exactly. meditation, they, and they, they looked into themselves, and you know, the inner eye told them not to bother with petty personal problems. Yeah, they don't believe in medicine anymore, Rob. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that I also wonder if maybe there's something else going on here. I'm very excited to talk with Leo and Jamal next week for a variety of reasons, no matter how they do, but one of them is to sort of get their mentality behind this, because I feel like, and we got this foreshadowed in the preview for the finale, but I gotta feel like, especially when there were four Amazing Race teams in together for such a long time, I'd have to imagine there's kind of like, if not an outright deal, a loose agreement with each other where they sort of look across and nod at one another of like, okay, we're really not going to target one another that much. Uh, and so I have to wonder if maybe because Victor and Nicole were sort of the lone non-amazing race team left, if Leo and Jamal were like, okay, this is the one team that sort of sticks out from the rest of the people that we really get along with, not to say that we're not friends with them, but they're sort of the outliers. These are people that I don't want to necessarily race with. Is that a good move? Not necessarily, because I would say that I think Team Fun are probably more threatening racers than Victor and Nicole, especially at the point that they were in in that leg. But I could see that being another reason why they decided to target Victor and Nicole particularly. Yeah. And... Yeah, um... And I would, I would even hasten to add, uh, this is sort of similar, I think, to something that I think I heard Brett LaBelle say on the exit circuit uh, just as recently as last week when he is very, they showed his reasoning for voting to U-turn Rachel and Alyssa as they don't talk to us, we have a personal problem with them. And Brett said that was 100% not why they did it. And he carefully broke down all of the reasons why and none of them had to do with that it just happened that they had that one sound bite that production used instead of having to go into the whole complicated reasons for it so that could also be true here okay so we have our first team u-turned uh we're gonna have the afghanimals are going to u-turn nicole and victor and they are going to have to uh and really have no choice they have to u-turn team fun jess yeah, which is as predicted. That's really that's really all you can say about that. Yeah, yeah, and it was the only shot in the dark they can make because I know Floyd, uh, you know, said in my interview with him, he's like, I had no idea how they knew we were behind them, but. I mean, they were pretty much running the leg until they split off for the detour with Tyler, Corey, Colin and Chrissy and the Afghanimals. So, I mean, you just sort of have to take the shot in the dark there. Can we also talk about the fact that the uh, U-turn was located at a nice little ice cream cart? I thought we were going to get Beekman Boys cameos. <laughs> uh, no, no more non-elimination legs. Uh, it was very, <laughs> very sad to say. Yeah, wait, is, is that why Becca and Floyd thought there was going to be a non-elimination leg? It's because they saw the Beekman boys there and thought, okay, well, if they're here, that means in their honor we're going to be saved. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we're going to start to get uh, Team Fun. They have, they are, you know, way behind. They end up on the first part of the detour where they're going to uh, do the uh, ditch 
vaulting uh, to go across. And we're going to end up with uh, the fateful egg transfer uh, not not going the way of Team Fungess. Yeah, and I think we've covered this pretty well. I don't know what else you can say about this, except that if you've ever bought eggs in a supermarket... You always open the carton and look at the eggs before you buy them. Yeah. Now, I should ask this to Team Fun. Do we know when the egg cracked? Did Becca pick up a cracked egg or did the egg, the egg crack in transit? I mean, does it matter? Yeah, I think it's, it matters because uh, that if you picked up a cracked egg, I think that's worse than if the egg cracked on the way to the market. I would assume... They were all pretty pristine eggs. This this part of the task reminds me of like in middle school when you and a partner are given an egg to take care of to simulate a Did child. Did that really which, happen, or that was just on TV? I had to I do that. Oh, really? Was it an egg or a bag oh, of yeah. flour? It was a hard boiled egg. Mm, hard boiled egg. And yes, and I broke my friend's egg, and she was she had the option to sue me for points off of my grade. <laughs> sue me? What? <laughs> <laughs> wow and she thankfully she did not do that and my egg was like the only one in the class that survived the week without um, any cracks on it good news but, for george i did yeah, not realize uh, how I litigious well. this, this project could get yeah all right well let's listen in on becca and floyd as they went to go hand in the eggs at the market it was a complete moment of loss. I want to throw that in your face right now. You know that. I have no idea. <laughs> it's the return would, of Dark Becca. How would he get the sense that she wanted to throw the egg in his face? He just met her. <laughs> you are aware, as we all would have this common behavior of wanting to smash all these eggs on your face, sir. Are you, am I correct? <laughs> I, I think sometimes when when that side of Becca comes out, she really has no concept Providence of what is Becca. M- <laughs> yes, yeah, Colorado I, Becca. I, I can't stop thinking of that meme that's Kermit the Frog looking at himself in the dark cloak. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's what we're dealing with now, and it's like Becca in the dark hooded cloak now. Mm-hmm. Um, dark we Becca. saw the same. S- yeah, we saw the same side of Dark Becca when she um, when they when Floyd lost their passports. Yeah, and she nearly and, like knocked him out. <laughs> yeah, like that comes out like that's the Becca that you know you wouldn't like her when she's angry. Yeah, I think once Becca told me that she was going to throw the egg in my face, I think I would have said, "Okay, I think you guys are good. I think you're you're through." But then maybe that's sli- maybe that was strategy. Yeah, it's a slippery slope, Rob. It's a slippery Mount uh, Mount Fuji when you do that because then you're just going to open the door for teams to intimidate their way past other task judges. <laughs> <laughs> Well, but on the bright side, if they start allowing that, then you know that side of Collins coming out, and we've been waiting for that all season. Yeah, no, I'm here for it. So I'm <laughs> that, okay. that cow went up 40 seconds, or I'm going to kick your ass. I swear to God, uh, I'm okay with teams bullying the judges on the Amazing Race. These poor people—they're <laughs> locals. They signed. They just signed up for some friendly cultural representation. Well, this guy's not friendly. One. Oh come on, Mike! And they—you know that the Dutch people give back as well as they get. Well, yeah, when people drive the wrong style. way down their streets. Yeah. <laughs> we're we're going to talk about this in a minute, but, you know, I think anybody that's ever stood in the middle of a bike path in Amsterdam knows that the Dutch can handle their business. Mm-hmm. I'm very sorry. 
That's okay. No, I can't take this. It's not intact. It was a complete moment of loss. I want to throw that in your face right now. You know that. I have no <laughs> idea why. I love that clip. Uh, I, I just I, I laughed out loud when she said that, <laughs> uh, and I also loved her arguing like, "No, no, it's good." You, and I think she talked about it in your exit interview, right? That she like was was threatening to sell the egg to to overshadow him to get his quota. <laughs> yeah, so I will sell that egg right now. <laughs> Could they have offered to buy the egg? I'll buy it. And then it's like, yo, you just sold it, so you don't need to sell it. You have your money. Yeah. Could you bribe the judge with your money for the leg? Look, if coercion is allowed, (laughs) I think bribery's on the table, too. I'm okay with this. Okay. So now they have to go back, and they were already lost. And uh, just this is uh, feeling like uh, it's getting really insurmountable for Team Fun. Yeah, this was not a leg that had a terrible amount of suspense. Mm -hmm. Uh, As much as I think editing tried to play up Nicole and Victor's mistakes and the Afghanimals' mistakes so that there might be like a little shred of a doubt, it really, like the writing was on the wall. I think as soon as we saw that cracked egg and we knew that U-turn was coming for them, it 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 was pretty hard to watch. Okay. And we've had a lot of people talking about, um, do we think that it takes away from the show when the editors kind of rush through those eliminations at the end when they're inevitable? And I think, no, I think if the exciting stuff is happening up the front of the leg, show the exciting stuff. Um, If we know what's going to happen, there's no sense in dragging it out or trying to deceive us. Okay, let's talk about the canal task. Mike, did you enjoy the canal task? I was so intrigued at first that I thought, okay, here we go, roadblock time. No roadblock. So I'm wondering, okay, we're going straight to the pit stop, but I didn't realize how much of a big to-do this was. I really enjoyed this. First, I'm all about sort of unconventional things. You know, I think uh, those that are big fans of Amazing Race Canada have complained about how Amazing Race U.S. pales in comparison to the Great White North when it comes to uh, non-detour or roadblock tasks. But we got a tried and true one here with uh, making the boat train pulling into the the island pit stop. Uh, I really enjoyed this just because it was a great way to sort of like, we've been to Amsterdam, I want to say like eight or nine times at this point, to the point where we repeated a task that's been already used in two other seasons but this was completely brand new this is a lot of fun to explore this little town it led to some really fantastic uh you know unfortunate conversations between these teams and the locals and it did shake things up a tiny bit so i really enjoyed even though this did take up you know i'd say like the last third of the episode overall i really enjoyed it just it was a beautiful day and there was a lot of canal traffic yeah it looked like They just sort of filmed this on a random weekend day when the weather happened to be beautiful and everyone was out enjoying the day. And I think maybe not everybody had been given an equal amount of heads up that this show was going to be happening. Mm -hmm. Would they normally like go around to the people on the canal and just let everybody know, hey, we got a bunch of morons coming through? I Is that why that guy called them idiots? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you're the the idiots. Okay, right on time. (laughs) <laughs> a bunch of people that have no idea what they're doing with these boats except for colin well i think sometimes especially when they need to um when there's a special specific location that there's going to be a lot of public traffic i think well i don't know mike has lived in the city so mike knows what i'm talking about but here in new york when they're filming a scripted tv show 
you will walk by a few days in advance. There will be big neon, big signs on neon paper taped to telephone poles and trees that uh, that say, hey, on this day, you need to move your car because we're taping this show. And sometimes mm-hmm. they tell you what the show is. And sometimes they're just like, it's oh, it's a secret pilot. And they do a lot of this up in my neighborhood. Like They film Blue Bloods uh, yeah. in front of George's daycare all the time. So we're always seeing this stuff. And so I think it's a similar thing. If Amazing Race is coming through a public area, there may be a sign up that says there's a TV show that's going to be filmed here. So you should be aware there's going to be extra traffic and extra people. But I think there was a immediate area where this task was supposed to be taking place. And I would suspect that at least a couple of these racers pushed the bounds of where that area was, mm-hmm. if not completely overshot them entirely. Yes. Uh, and let's listen in on one of these moments where uh, Tyler and Corey uh, encountered some locals that were giving them some helpful advice. You want to reverse down that? Oh my goodness, I'm sorry. I am sorry, everyone. I don't mean to be. (laughs) Are you guys idiots or something like that? Wow. So I can't believe when people quote that to us in the comments section, they're actually just, you know, using an ancient Dutch phrasing. They're being helpful. (laughs) You idiots. I I like that they immediately knew to speak English. And then just Tyler responds, I don't mean to be, it's like the great way to be like, I acknowledge that I'm an idiot, but please know that I'm trying not to be an ugly American right now. I just have no idea how to drive three boats backwards. Right. And make yeah, like the TV show made me do it. Yeah. In a canal. <laughs> Uh, there's some great I love the um, the Afghanables there's one point where like a giant tour boat like a party bu- a party bike sized tour boat <laughs> comes through and the Afghanables are like we're sorry you're gonna have to stop and this guy's like no I'm not stopping and so it just like completely yeah. plows into the Afghanables and pushes them out of the way well the Afghanimals were going the wrong way in a one way section of the canal Jess yeah that was at least they didn't try to murder a child with the front of their boat <laughs> <laughs> like that poor kid that was, that was uh, legitimately terrifying and i love that they they apologize and the woman just responds it doesn't matter i think she was this i'm i'm assuming that just this go woman away. got bumped into by so many different boats at this point that she's like i just get out of here please i don't even care at this point like i i can imagine like people are saying oh yeah they're just bumping into boats but considering that i guess boats are their main form of transportation in this town i can imagine it's like akin to getting in like a a small fender bender and i don't think anyone would necessarily want to do that at the hands of racers (laughs) right the there are dutch people that are just going for like a nice row in their boat and then uh, you have all these crazy people just crashing into them driving the wrong way like what is going on I also love the uh, the random group of old ladies singing a cappella driving by Tyler and Corey. Yeah, like, they're like, oh, that was all, beautiful. Yeah, all these random sites like goats, uh, the cat, which drew Leo's attention Leo for was some in heaven. time. <laughs> Leo loved I do it. Love, I do love that runner. I know I was pissed off back in episode two of like, Leo, stop talking about the damn cat. But he played it down enough that now we sort of have this cat runner, which I really appreciated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Aubrey was looking for her black cat uh, on Survivor. But uh, Leo's been the one finding all the cats on The Amazing Race. 
we're going to need Peridium to do a supercut of all of the times Leo chased a cat on The Amazing Race. <laughs> that could be a great <laughs> video. The top 37 times that Leo chased a cat on The Amazing Race 31. <laughs> be a great video. I'd, okay. I'd watch it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, uh, we have uh, Team Fun and Nicole and Victor trying to uh, get through uh, the detour. Mike, Victor is running out of gas. Yeah, I mean, uh, this is also why uh, he did not do particularly well in the challenge. Not like when Leo and Jamal thought that they literally ran out of gas. (laughs) Yes, when their electric motor was out of gas. Uh, But yeah, I mean, this is uh, why Victor didn't necessarily do well when it's his tenure during the challenge. is because uh, I would say that while he's awesome athletically, I would say when it comes to endurance, especially having to ride this bike back and forth and back and forth, uh, maybe, you know, he tried his best, but I can imagine that was pretty darn tough to do, especially knowing that you know he probably expended all his energy going to the market thinking that was it, and then realizing that he now had to go back to farm number 34 to haul this fake cow was probably the last thing he wanted to do at this point. Yeah. And uh, we ended up uh, seeing uh, Team Fun seemingly got through it okay, but uh, just, you know, it, when a team is in the back of the pack, uh, always difficult to uh, really take everything that we see on the show uh, at face value when it seems like they're making up a lot of time. Yeah, you kind of, if you're not seeing two teams in the same frame, you kind of have to assume that it could be pretty much any any time of day. And in a couple of cases on this show, they've edited it to make a team seem like they were still in the mix when they were 24 hours behind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. The- to be fair, they did tell you in the interview, Rob, that they did apparently finish only 15 minutes behind Nicole and Victor. So I don't know if it was made up during the detour or if it was made up during the boats, but it seemed like they did gain some ground at some point. They vaulted over some ground. Yes. Uh, Jess, this episode did seem like it had some uh, stylistic editing in terms of the uh, graphics uh, that they were using that I don't recall seeing on The Amazing Race. That we kept going to like an overlay of uh, the map of Amsterdam with sort of like a Google map like dots like representing where the other teams were. Yeah, it it was I feel like it was spiritually similar to when they show the map with the amazing yellow line showing where teams started and where they're ending up for their next leg. Mm-hmm. I feel like it it felt a lot like that. And I thought it was I would not 100 percent trust those to be 100 percent no? accurate. Yeah, I don't. I, I, I mean, I know. Would would reality TV ever lie to us? Never. Um, never. But. It, I liked it. I thought it was kind of fun. I thought it was a kind of an innovative way to show what was going on there because you didn't have that ability to put two teams in one frame because one of them was God knows where and one of them was way up the canal. Mm-hmm. Mike, do you like the amazing GPS? I do. I think that now they should in, they should put geo trackers on all the racers so that now we can do like overlay shots of if they're all running inside a temple or something. We sort of know who's going where. But I think it also displayed how big the canals were as mm-hmm. well. I mean, not width wise. They were very narrow, which caused a lot of problems. But I think, you know, Phil really undersold just how labyrinthian just the canals of this town were to the point where, I mean, it was also just fun to, I really liked, um, in particular, Leo and Jamal accidentally going through the canal exit and them using a big red line to dictate essentially like, yep, they're going the wrong way. Let's see what happens, people. It's sure to be fun. 
Okay. Uh, Colin and Christy end up with a first place finish. Uh, their first first place finish of the race. Is that correct? No. Uh, oh, I, yeah. No. Leg four, they won. Okay. All right. Uh, but as they said, that they won a bunch of first place uh, legs in terms of uh, Amazing Race 5. But they said they wanted to finish strong. And I, I have to feel like that uh, Colin and Chrissy, they do feel like that they are really hitting their stride going into the final legs, Jess. Yeah, I think so. I think they have to feel like they have a real shot because it's really been them and Tyler and Corey out in front this whole time and they have I mean they haven't won a leg in a while but they've been right up there they haven't finished lower than fourth and I think also one thing I note about Colin and Christy and we could talk ad nauseum I think every week we go into like Zen Colin and how this is barely the same team but I think this is kind of the same way that we see a lot of two-time survivors come out the second time and I was listening to your to your deep dive with Aurora from this past season of Survivor mm-hmm. today. And she talks about how she had heard from the returning players that the second time you go back on the show, you are able to spend time having fun and really appreciating where you are. And I think this also describes Colin and Christy, because I think yeah. there was very little of their first time out that was fun at all. It was just go, go, go and intense. And you would see Colin just like lose his mind because he didn't get first place in a leg. And now you see the two of them, they're mellow, they're older, and they know that this is just icing. Like they had their amazing race experience and it's unreal that they're getting a second chance. And so I think they've kind of ironically in slowing down and appreciating it, they've put themselves in a good position to win the race. They finally found out the amazing race was fun and good. Mm-hmm. It all makes sense now. I, I will also exactly. give a, sh- and I will give a shout out here as well. Dalton Ross came up with a really interesting interview with Colin and Christy in anticipation for this week's in, in, uh, episode for entertainment weekly that really highlights uh, you know, exactly what Colin and Christy went through in the 15 years between seasons. And I think it's been super interesting because I think, especially as of late, you know, we, we've heard a lot and we've talked a lot about how, uh, you know, in reality, TV can certainly warp, you know, people's mental health and psychologies in different ways participating in it. And it's so rare to see a story of contestants, you know, watch the season back go through the experience and realize, okay, that's a behavior that I need to improve upon in my own life. And so Colin goes into great length about, you know, what exactly brought him to Zen Colin. They talk about what exactly encouraged them to go back on the race in the first place. I, especially going to this finale, I really heavily recommend people check out that interview because I loved getting to hear their perspective on everything that happened in these past 15 years. Okay. So... Colin and Chrissy, they get a first place finish. Uh, Tyler and Corey are in a second place. Jess, would this have been a record to have four straight first place finishes for Tyler and Corey? Um, I don't believe so. I think that's been done. Um, if not on the U.S. Amazing Race, it's been done well, globally. Well, still, somewhere. it would have been impressive to me. Yeah, I think. I mean, uh, I think I four think, uh, in a row green- is already impressive. Yeah, I think the green team did five in a row. And I want to say maybe Rachel and Dave did two from season 20. But I believe, we talked about this last week, I think Tyler and Corey still do hold the uh, the franchise record for most first place finishes across a career with nine. But I believe this is Colin and Christie's eighth. 
So maybe if they end up winning the final leg and Tyler and Corey lose the next two, then maybe there's a tie there. I'm not entirely sure. But it, again, like Jess said, they're, they're neck and neck like they have been the entire back half of the season. Yeah. Um, Phil is trying to mess with Tyler and Corey here, uh, trying to make them feel like that they are really at the back of the pack, uh, that Tyler and Corey get to the mat and Phil says, so guys, what do you think? I'm like uh, three? Like, whoa, that's being generous. I'm just messing with you. That's not the most objectionable thing Phil said all leg. <laughs> what was it? What was the award? Um, what the hell happened to you guys? Yes, yes, yeah, yes. So like, that was what's wrong with you? Yeah. <laughs> what is wrong with you guys? Why did you uh, f- feel like, so vindictive against Victor and Nicole? Uh, what the hell happened to you guys? No, I don't know if it was against what happened to Victor and Nicole. I think it's more so like you guys were in second. No, I know. I get first- that. I, if, but he, if, he, if he was saying that, it should have been about why, why yeah. do you uh, have so much animosity against Victor and Nicole? for the U-turn vote. I love it, though, because it's so interesting to see, like, Phil, you know, from the first few seasons compared with Phil now, who's just, like, exasperated, like, what are you guys doing? What is wrong with and, you two? And they, have, and they have Ganimals even talk about it at the beginning of the leg. They're like, you know what? I think we're still the strongest team. We just haven't been performing well for, like, eight or nine legs <laughs> at this point. Uh, and this is yet another instance where they were doing really well for a hot second, and then they just completely got led astray for one reason or another, and they fell to the, the third position this time. Yeah. They're all or nothing the Afghan animals they're sort of like going 100 miles an hour or like uh, 20 in reverse <laughs> well, it's one or the other with the Afghan yeah, animals I mean maybe part of the, the appeal of the Afghan animals and part of the reason that they keep being asked back is that they are such a mixed bag and they're, they're kind of like <laughs> the Forrest Gump box of chocolates in that you never know what you're going to get but it's probably going to be sort of gleefully snarky and funny and we'll take off to chase a cat yeah yeah that bag's gonna have cracked eggs in it it's gonna have regular eggs and yeah it's gonna have might have a couple of uh ostrich eggs in there just for good measure so we're going to have some tension of uh who is going to be the last team to arrive is it going to be nicole and victor or is it going to be becca and floyd uh the edit's giving us a little bit of hope that it's going to be uh becca and floyd who are going to make it into fourth place uh nicole seemed very nervous uh to the point mike where she said that she might soil herself Maybe she had some of that uh, crotch cheese before oh, leaving come the market. On, come on, <laughs> Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> uh, yeah, so yeah, I think she said what? She's like, I'm going to cramp myself if we see Team Fun. Yes, yes. What, what level is that on the fun meter of uh, I see Team Fun, I'm going to crap myself? Uh, I mean, there's no brown color on the fun meter. No. So yeah, I mean, we've, we've all got fun meters. We should be able to figure this out. Yes, now. yes. I have, I, mine, I, I have mine in my hand right now. Thank you again I'm to very, Ariel I'm Glassman. very confused by... Yeah, thank you, Ariel, but I'm very confused by the fun meter Why? personally. Well, because the levels are fun, funnest, and fun-stoppable. I feel like if I put those three words next to each other, I don't know if I arrange them in the correct order to the severity that they are on the scale here. The sliding scale of fun is just why. How would you order them? Would you are you like one of these grammar Nazis? Would you have like more fun? No, I would say that probably funnest would probably be the 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 last level because I think that like. There's nothing more capable. There's nothing more fun than funnest. Literally, the definition is like it is is unstoppable. Jess, what do you think should be the order? Um. Well, I think part of the I think part of the appeal here is that it isn't necessarily a hierarchy so much as a spectrum 
and you could be anywhere on that spectrum or maybe it's not even linear like hmm. maybe fun is a flat circle guys fun is a flat circle that's the hashtag for this episode uh, yeah. I like it I like it I it, think- it literally is we're holding a flat circle in our hands right now exactly. <laughs> right right and I want to I want to point out that at the beginning of the leg you can see uh, Becca and Floyd's fun meters and it looks like Floyd's fun meter arrow has snapped off entirely hmm. <laughs> a metaphor I, I think it's a metaphor. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I thought you were going to say that in their post pit stop interview, you saw the, the arrows on the left and that really meant that they were going to get eliminated because that's where the fun meter ended up being. Hmm. It was it was all in the white part of the fun meter. OK. It's like pointing uh, to the letter U. <laughs> so ultimately, uh, I thought that Becca tried to guilt uh, Phil into making it a non-elimination leg, Jess. Uh, she's like, but you guys are still racing, right? <laughs> I mean, it was a nice try on her part, but Phil did, and I made someone go back and rewatch this for me because I wanted to be sure, but Phil literally did tell them all, there are no more non-elimination legs, and I guess they could quibble, it'd be like, maybe it's a keep on racing leg, but I, that was not happening. That's that's exactly what they did. That's what they told me. They thought like, okay, maybe to keep on racing doesn't technically mean non-elimination. But yeah, I mean, Becca pretty much told Phil like, I'm going to ram into you with this boat. You know that, right? If you tell me that we're eliminated. <laughs> I'm going to throw this pin in your face right now. I mean, what did, the, what did she do with the cracked egg that got rejected? Is she still holding on to that? Because if I was Phil, I would watch out. <laughs> yeah. If she brought that back from Amsterdam uh, with her, that would be impressive. I, I think we keep saying Amsterdam, but someone's going to at me and say, you don't know anything about geography, Jess, because they weren't in Amsterdam except when they landed the plane. So I want to be very clear that I know they were not in Amsterdam. They were in small towns outside of Amsterdam. Thank you very much. OK. All right. Uh, look, take it easy, everybody. <laughs> leave Je- leave Jess alone. And uh, we're just we're just recapping a, a game show. OK. That's it. Yes, but we're getting things wrong. Getting things wrong. And okay. when we collectively get things wrong, yeah. I'm the one that hears is, back. is there a podcast that gets things right? Um, no, all podcasts get things wrong <laughs> yeah. all the time. It's a podcast. It's the first rule of podcasting. Yeah. Actually, no. It'll always be a little wrong. Unless you're This American Life, I think they get everything yeah. right. Yeah. If you wanted something right, read a book, people, okay? <laughs> yes, all books are right. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, so then that's it for this leg of the race. And we yes. are headed towards our final week of the amazing race where we are going to see two more legs jam packed onto a Wednesday night. And then presumably next week uh, we will have exit interviews with the final four teams of the amazing race. Yes, and uh, Beck and Floyd go out with one more trademark rap where Floyd just completely bungles his final word on The Amazing Race 31. But my God, is it delightful. Yes. Uh, great job on the uh, freestyling uh, and the beatboxing. Uh, the in- incredible work from Team Fun. 
Yeah, I mean, you can get, I mean, you can get the host of the show to freestyle. I think that's an accomplishment in itself. Yeah, I thought that they might have uh, given Phil some pointers, but they were uh, they were very generous for uh, towards Phil and his freestyling skills in the exit interview. They really want to play the Amazing Race a third time. <laughs> that's how you really, you compliment the host's freestyling skills. That's <laughs> yes. how you get it on for a third time. Yes. Or or maybe you just physically threaten everybody. Yes, Phil, I am going to throw this phone in your face if I don't get on the Amazing Race again. Uh, all right. We've got questions from the listeners, and uh, we will get to those in a moment. But first, let me take a moment to thank our sponsor for this episode of the podcast. Those are our friends over at Sharper Image who bring you the calming, comfort, weighted blanket. Because this is the weighted blanket that the first lady of podcasting swears by. There's no need to suffer through another sleepless night. Finally, the calming, comfort blanket from Sharper Image. It's the luxurious weighted blanket that helps you relax so you can fall asleep and stay asleep naturally. Calming Comfort is designed with high-density comfort fill to not fill a Kogan uh, <laughs> to provide exactly the right amount of weight to relax your body. It mimics the soothing feeling of being hugged for less stress and a restful night's sleep. When you're under the blanket, you'll experience the great feeling of being hugged, cuddled, or swaddled, which is as soothing for adults as it is for children. Calming Comfort applies an even amount of pressure over your body to help the production of serotonin and melatonin, simulating deep touch pressure stimulation. It's taking relaxation to the next level. You could sleep better, feel great, and stress less. For gifts, it is great, and it's a natural way to attain adequate sleep and support your overall health. Its precision stitched squares are filled with a high-density BPA-free microbeads that are evenly distributed throughout the blanket. So go ahead and give it a try. The Common Comfort Weighted Blanket comes with a 90-day anxiety-free, stress-free, best night's sleep of your life guarantee from the Sharper Image. And right now, just for our listeners, you can go to commoncomfortblanket.com. Use promo code ROB at checkout to receive $15 off the display price. Again, commoncomfortblanket.com, promo code ROB. And because you can't put a price on a great night's sleep, go online now at commoncomfortblanket.com. Use promo code ROB for your special discount today you will not want to throw an egg in anybody's face when you wake up after sleeping with the common comfort weighted blanket okay jess let's open up our mailbag oh we got so many good questions did any of the questions break in the mailbag while you were bringing them over to the podcast this week do you you only have a question look rob i i checked the questions before i left okay and they were fine all right and I packed him with a lot of grass around everything. <laughs> I, well, is, that, is that another <laughs> Amsterdam joke? Uh, I do love, by the uh, way, that uh, Colin and Colin and Christy each got seventy five hundred dollars from Phil, so the prize went Dutch. They split their their money evenly. <laughs> yes, it's a Dutch okay. treat. Okay, all right, do it Dutch. <laughs> we have so many great questions, um, and I think things that that absolutely warms my heart is that um, we now have people that are writing in and prefacing their question with Amazing Race 101. So now we have a whole section of Amazing Race 101 questions. Yes. Now, before we play the jingle for Amazing Race 101, are any of the Amazing Race 101 people still watching with uh, the elimination of the final Survivor team? Um, apparently everybody is still watching. Okay, good. And I, I was thinking that I was listening to the podcast with Mike and Dan. So I wonder if now that Brett's out, are we going to lose the like first time Amazing Race audience? 
Uh, well, we still have a Big Brother team in it, so these people could all still plausibly be watching. They could watching be the for... Nicole and Victor of Stance. Sure, sure. But I think once you get far enough in a show, Pot even if committed. the person is out. Like in Amsterdam. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. You just dinged yourself for a drug joke. This is how far you've fallen, Rob. <laughs> okay, yes. Uh, I appreciate that you had the impression of me that I, at one point I was uh, I had not fallen this far. No, well, we had hoisted you up for a while, that we, and you ended up falling back down, and we didn't yes. apparently take forty seconds. Yes, uh, yeah. it, it was. Yeah, it was uh, Mike's influence of going full bloom. Yeah, I'm just glad that we all still had our helmets on from the bikes, so that when we dropped you after we hoisted you, we didn't mm-hmm. hurt ourselves. Thank you. Okay, so Amazing Race 101. Amazing Race 101. So next season, when George is in college, I'm going to keep using that drop. <laughs> now, is he on some sort of a Doogie Hauser plan, or do you anticipate the next season of The Amazing Race being uh, significantly delayed? I think we never know when these things are going to premiere anymore, and it just keeps getting longer and longer between seasons. Okay. I think you should do you should do like a boyhood thing where you record a drop every year of his life and then edit them together into one cohesive <laughs> drop. I, I think he's gonna he's gonna love that. I'm gonna play it for his prom date. Oh no. <laughs> okay. Okay. So. First question comes from Nicole Sweezy, who tweets at us. Uh, you should talk about what happens if your race-provided vehicle breaks down while you are driving yourself somewhere. And do you think that that would have happened to Leo and Jamal if that nice Dutchman hadn't helped them with their boat? Yeah, that's a good question. So one thing we know, at least in the earlier seasons of Amazing Race, is when your vehicle breaks down, um, they would make a big deal out of it. On the show, yeah. and they would—they had like a whole little intro about it. Like, if your vehicle breaks down through no fault of your own, a replacement vehicle would be provided, but you will not be credited for any of the time lost while spent waiting for the new vehicle. And this happened. There were a lot of tasks that kind of anticipated somebody's vehicle would break down. Uh, there was one in Eastern Europe, someplace where they had to drive these old janky Cold War cars, and they kept breaking down. And this used to be a thing that happened like every season, at least one person would have a broken down car. But in recent seasons, I don't think it's ever come up. Mm. I don't know if that still happens. I I don't know if the Bergen and Kurt thing from 26, like if they had absolutely shredded their car with the stick stuff, if the car had been replaced, I'm not entirely sure. But it's so interesting hearing the origin story of that as well, Jeff, because I believe doesn't it involve a one founder of Tom's Shoes, Blake Mykoski, sort of became like the the founder of this rule because he, in the second leg of the Amazing Race season two, uh, him and his sister were about to be eliminated because their car broke down, and he like basically argued with the producers of like they needed a time credit for the time that they lost, and I think as a result of that was when the producers sort of came up with that rule about replacing them with vehicles. Yeah, I, I, I somewhat recall that. That's been that was a really long time ago, Mike. Uh, but I think you're right about that. And there have been other instances um, of people, like people's own stupidity, causing their car to break down. Um, for instance, the time when everybody put diesel fuel in their unleaded tanks, or maybe the other way mm-hmm. around. 
Now, would you say that what happened to the Afghan animals was a act of God through no fault of their own? I mean, uh, that didn't they like uh, they were dri- dr- dr- you sailing there, or uh, I don't know. I want, should I say driving or sailing this boat? It's a motorboat. It does not have a sail, Rob. Okay. Well, are they driving a boat? There was. Is there a steering yeah. wheel? Okay. Yeah. Uh, so you're driving the boat around, but they're they're going all over the place. I mean, uh, if they got some uh, gunk in the engine, then isn't that their fault? I I think it's hard to tell in that instance. They'd have to have like a forensic mechanic to it wasn't to a defective it out, but boat. It was not a defective boat, as far as I could tell. And they it turns out we didn't really have to explore what would happen here because it turned out they just kind of flooded the engine and. There are people that own motorboats that know what to do when you do that. Okay. So, thankfully, we didn't have to find out what happens. But I assume, like, had the boat been defective or had there been some question that the boat might have been defective, then I think Leo and Jamal would have been provided with another boat. Okay. Do you think so. they would have had to, because I believe at that point they had collected both boats in the boat train, do you think they would have had to collect both supplementary boats again, or would they just have like reattached them to the new boat? I think they would have reattached them to the new boat, because I think we also we also talked a little bit about this. I think I got a lot of people tweeting me last week, and it made me sad that I couldn't talk about it on the podcast, but... There was a lot of talk about if you're partway through a task and you get interrupted for some reason, do you have to go back and then do, if you go back to the task, do you have to do it over again? Or can you pick up where you left off? And I think I think similarly, they've already collected their boats. They've done that part. Now they need to do the part where they get across the lake. Mm-hmm. Rob, do you feel like at least one team named one of those boats Bodie McBoatface? <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know if anybody is a uh, Bodie McBoatface uh, kind of group. I feel like that everybody's into uh, their own self-branding as opposed to uh, getting in on a meme. Mm, that yeah, is true. Bodie McBoatface. Bodie McBoatface had an amazing week this week. So Yes, yes. As discussed on the most recent edition of News AF with uh, Danny Tyson and I. Yeah, I felt like Tyson's insights in particular were very cogent. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> A lot to say. Okay. Yes. All right. Uh, all right. So, coming up next, uh, Shannon Gates wants to know, how rare is it for there to be no roadblock? Hmm. I'm, I'm stumped on this one. Uh, I know that there have been cases. I know that actually early on in the first leg in the early seasons, they actually almost always did a detour but no roadblocks. You know, in the early seasons, a roadblock wasn't used until the very second leg of the race. But I can't think of in recent seasons when they've done this, considering how much we've used the two roadblocks, no detour, but not the other way around. Yeah, I think it's happened. I think we've seen... We've seen legs where this has been the case, and I think especially in the earlier seasons, they tended to not necessarily label some of the tasks. Like, you had a lot more of these kind of nebulous root marker tasks, but I think it's not totally unheard of. And the interesting thing is, this felt, I think, Mike, earlier you were comparing this to an Amazing Race Canada leg, and Amazing Race Canada tends to play fast and loose with what tasks are a lot more often, and they'll cram a lot of extra tasks into a leg and not really tell you what they are. And I think these these last two legs in particular have felt very like Amazing Race at the top of its game, and in 
those cases, I feel like when the race is kind of firing on all cylinders, that's when you see it sort of improvising and kind of if they have a good enough task, they don't have to necessarily put it in the formula that they always use. Although this is my conspiracy theory question that we haven't really talked about. Do we think maybe this boat task was supposed to be a roadblock and they decided it was too hard? Hmm. I think it's more fun to have both teams in the boat, though. Yeah, I think so. I, it's Maybe it was a question of it being fun. I think one person in the boat by themselves, they can't yell at anybody. They just have to kind of take abuse from the locals. <laughs> right. Get called an idiot. Uh, it's more fun to have uh, idiots, plural. Yeah, and have people calling each other an idiot. Yeah. So, And I guess, what, what would the other team member have uh, hung out with Phil? And apparently the greeter for this leg, which we didn't see, was uh, none other than one of the forefathers of the amazing race himself bertram van munster <laughs> that's true Appar- apparently yeah, apparently from what i've been reading apparently uh he was wearing you know his trademark red hat so people you know were very closely paying attention to the shots we saw uh in the episode but apparently he is dutch so i guess that would make sense that he was uh the greeter for the leg it just stinks that we didn't see him mm-hmm. yeah it's kind of like the time that phil's dad was the greeter oh good times yeah, good times. Yeah. But I did they have a greeter and the greeter just canceled? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I, I feel like you know, just like having Phil's father on there, it's it's a nice way to uh, to you know uh, reference some something outside of Amazing Race that's connected with the country. How do you think Phil's father would have reacted to the guff that Phil was giving some of these teams on the map? <laughs> I, I don't think Phil would have been quite as candid if his dad was standing there. But I mean, he's candid enough if his boss is standing right there. Hmm. I think his boss so, is turning him on, like, no, no, like, really dump on the Afghanimals. That'd be fun. Yeah, you're not being enough of a jerk, Phil. Mm-hmm. Like, really, like, you know, ask him what the hell happened. Yeah, fair enough. Okay. But, yeah, having Bertram Van Munster be your greeter, that feels more like they were supposed to have somebody and they canceled. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, they couldn't make their way to that island. They got lost. Maybe it was a bucket list thing for Bertram. Maybe. Uh, or maybe he just feels like, you know, he's not he's not hands on enough these days. Mm-hmm. So he's like getting back in there to get his hands dirty. Yes. All right. So next Amazing Race 101 question. Um, and I think I think this is a really interesting one that we've not really talked about. And it's got a really interesting answer. So I like this one. Um, Diana wants to know, do eliminated teams go home before meeting everyone at the final leg mat? Or are they sent to a Ponderosa type place? Mm-hmm. And I know Mike knows the answer to this one. I can't remember if we talked about this, but yeah, I we sure I'm sure we did at some point. Hmm. Yeah, because there is some weird history involved with this, and specifically the CBS coverage of it. Hmm. Yes. Yes. Um, oh, I missed those. That was fun. Um, eliminated teams do have a Ponderosa type place that they go to, uh, at least the first few. And I don't know if this remains the case. And I hope that we can get we can talk to some racers and get a fact check on this. But it for a very long time, like the first six or so eliminated teams would go to a resort and for several seasons, especially in the middle there, they had this thing called Elimination Station where they would it was like a Ponderosa type web series where you could watch little videos of every eliminated team showing up and the teams greeting each other and interacting, kind of dealing with race fallout or calling, you know, or they call somebody on the phone or they like hang out poolside. And 
those were kind of fun. They were never quite as entertaining as Survivor Ponderosa videos tend to get. But the really interesting thing, I think, is what the rest of the teams would do. And I believe they still do this. Um, but there's not really time to go hang out at a resort for a few days if you're one of the last few teams to go out. So you continue to travel with the teams that are still it's racing. It's a good deal. Yeah, it's a good deal. I feel like this is the ideal thing. Like, go out in Team Fun slot and then continue to travel and get to see all the places and not actually have the stress of racing. This sounds great, but a lot of times those teams would also run decoy legs uh, so that the spoiler community would see them out there and think they were still in it or just to test the course to make sure that the challenges are set up correctly and okay. So... That is what used to happen to teams, and we haven't really talked this out with any more recent teams to find out if that's still what happens. So I'm hoping that we get a deep dive with at least one team who's been in the situation that can tell us if that's still the case. But then, of course, everybody flies out together and is waiting on the mat when the final three teams roll up at the end of the race. Mm -hmm. I do recall talking with Alyssa a couple of weeks ago that she was alluding to like her and Corinne and Eliza and Janelle and Brittany sort of like bonding at the resort. So I believe that part still holds true to your point jess i'm not sure about you know the the final six five and four teams running a decoy final legs though i feel like we we missed out on elimination station because i feel like beck and floyd could have done a rap video to rival chris nobles (laughs) well there's a collaboration i want to see now yeah so that's good yeah smash that egg featuring chris noble Yeah, let's let's make this video. This needs to happen. Yeah. Can they rhyme elimination station with anything? Uh Kajation. But it already rhymes with itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it'd be that's already half the rhymes that are that are gone. Yep, I guess. <laughs> A lot so. of stuff. Okay. All right. Uh what other questions do we have from the listeners? All right, so um let's see, I'm looking for things that we have not actually touched upon. Uh, Here's some interesting ones about the ditch jumping task. Uh, Jay Farbs wants to know, could Becca and Floyd have gotten a penalty for throwing the cheese across the river instead of holding it while jumping? It depends on what the clue said, right? Yeah, I I just said get get it across the river. I don't know if it exactly said. I mean, listen, as we said, they were playing fast and loose with the rules around that ditch anyway. It was just in the marketplace that things became a lot stricter. Yeah, and we had a lot of people also ask, um, if you thought your eggs might break, why wouldn't you just get more than 12 to begin with? Mm -hmm. And I have to assume that was not allowed. Yeah. A lot of people asking about the U-turn placement because people were excited about this. But Joshua Felix had a kind of a out there question that I think would be fun. Uh, He says, given some traveling back in time to the old U-turn, could you ever see a return of the yield? I have no desire to see it back as a permanent fixture, but a one-time return of the yield would be fun, especially when placed at a task so they angrily glare at the other teams. Hmm. I understand where he's coming from. I think the yield brings out some interpersonal dynamics that could be fun where you literally have to face, you know, the people. That was the fun thing about the yield being used in season five with the aforementioned Colin and Christy was I believe the test they were doing was like right at the yield. So all Colin could do was just glare at, you know, Chip and Kim doing this task. But I feel like the antithesis of the amazing race is standing around and waiting And that's what the yield is. One of the things I like about the U-turn above the yield is that they're actually going to do something rather than just standing around for 15 minutes. Yeah, one of the interesting things about Amazing Race Australia Season 2, which I know I talk about this season a lot, but it is a very good one, is that they had both a U-turn and a yield. 
And I thought that was very interesting because it sort of subverted your expectations. Like there are two different things in play. It's like having an immunity idol and a vote steal. Too many advantages. Or disadvantages. Too many disadvantages. They need to put it up on the screen what disadvantages a team has so that people don't get confused. Like a lower third. Yeah, like they've been yielded and U-turned in the same leg. Mm-hmm, yes. But they might find the fast forward to get to the intersection to work right. with the team they want. One U-turn, and then they use one fake yield. One express pass, one fake this express is pass. Not, this is not an express pass. Yes. Could a team make a, a fake uh, 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 route marker uh, uh, to trick the other teams? Ooh, like a fake clue? Yes. Like, how would they even do that? Would they, like, bring red and yellow crayons? Yeah, what if there was, like, a really really handy team? Or they're in, like, one of these, like, uh, you know, big markets where there might be, you know, some supplies. Yeah, I mean, nobody's ever tried that. But, you know, they haven't had Boston Rob running the race in a hot minute. That sounds like something he would do. Give it another year. Can't wait for season season 33 and Reality Stars 2. With uh, with with David Wright and Joe Anglum are just going to completely change the game when it comes to fake blue markers. <laughs> mm. Think about I, it. I'd be here for that. I, in fact, this is my new challenge to anybody listening to this podcast who is in the casting process for Amazing Race and might someday run the race. I want you to now figure out a way to fabricate a fake advantage. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're very good at art, like, draw on a clue and modify it so that it looks like an express pass or, you know, put a flag in the wrong place. I want to see that happen now. Like, we're, we're transforming the game. This is the evolution of strategy at work right here. Yes. Yes. Um, Henry, Henry D. Maria wants to know, do you think without the U-turn this late, the Afghanimals get out this episode, or is that just editing? Mm, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, the Afghanimals, I know they fell pretty far behind during the boats, but I still feel like Victor and Nicole and Team Fun were still pretty far back, even when they only completed one half of the detour. So, as much as uh, Leo and Jamal got bogged down in the swamps of uh, whatever town they were in, I'd still like to think that one of those other two teams would have gone and they would have survived. Yeah, it's hard to say because um, yeah, they really uh, struggled a lot with the canal and, uh, but I, I don't know if anybody really struggled with the second part of the detour. Yeah, it's it's true. Like it seemed like this was a classic example of like having a skill detour slash attention to detail, and then one that was just a lot of brute force, mm-hmm. as well as one that made much better TV. Because you know we've seen that ditch vaulting enough times that we've gotten everything we're going to seem very familiar. It. Yeah, it did, and there were no seventy-two-year-old men going across in their underwear. <laughs> Less entertaining. Okay. Unfortunately. Okay. So. I've got lots of questions about the canal that I feel like we've kind of covered. Uh, But I thought Cole made an interesting point here. What was the layout of the canal? And wouldn't it be easy to hear or see someone grabbing a huge boat that takes time to retrieve and follow them? Hmm. And I think it was much bigger than you could have actually. I think it was way too big for that to happen. But I'm interested to hear your thoughts. 
uh, that hence the amazing ways with the the big map with everyone uh, geocached on it. I mean, following is such an interesting idea anyway because. It, you know, there was an interesting theme this episode where, like, it seemed like Colin and Christy, Tyler and Corey, and uh, and the Afghanals were sort of like all following each other, working together. Beck and Floyd told me in their in their interview with me that they were very adamant to actually not follow teams this way because they felt like they wanted to sort of it's the point of the race where they wanted to you know blaze their own path and make their own decisions. But yeah, I do wonder when you have Colin and Christy and Tyler and Corey get to, or and t- 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 Colin and Christy and the Afghanimals get to the boats first. Why did they not work together to, to find the boats if they wanted to you know get to the pit stop at the same time? Yeah, it's like Colin and Christy just kind of ditched Tyler and Corey towards the end. <laughs> no, they didn't do the ditch. They did the, uh, the yeah, caps. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I think it's one of those things where there are times when it is advantageous to work with somebody and times where it might not be. And I think it may not have been clear like that all of the boats were stored in the same place. And this is one of those things, if you knew that, you might be able to work with somebody and get it done faster. But if you're just assuming that you have to find, it's sort of like that task where they're in the dino suits looking for the eggs and the eggs could be anywhere. You have to assume that one person finding a boat means less boats for you to find. And that could be something where maybe it's not that great to work with somebody. So if you don't know that going in, you're not going to work with anybody. So, okay, I think that pretty much wraps up our questions about this episode, but we did have some good questions about the finale, and I think that's a good way to close out the program. Okay. So, uh, Watch and Tell wants to know, among the four remaining teams, who has the Amazing Race winner at it? This is, I mean, Jess, you've done a fantastic job of predicting what the Amazing Race winner edit is. Here's the thing that I've sort of figured out about the Amazing Race, especially the last few seasons, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but, you know, I feel like going into the finale, it's always, it's a lot of times it's been like, well, this one team has been very dominant for a lot of the race in terms of first place victories. I think they have the best chance of winning. It feels like the past, like, four or five seasons, that team has not ended up winning. So I feel like if you're looking at track record, yes, it could come down to like a Tyler or Corey or a Colin and Christie, but it feels just like recent history has said that maybe those that have the most dominant record going into leg 12 does not necessarily have it in the bag of eggs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that, Mike. I think personally, looking at all of these racers and looking at the story that they've had so far... I almost think the most compelling story, if not, I don't know if necessarily this is the story we're getting, but I think the most interesting and compelling win for me would be Victor and Nicole, which that surprises the hell out of me to hear me say that, Uh, especially given that I wasn't necessarily a big fan of theirs coming into this season. But I feel like they're the last non-amazing race team standing. Mm -hmm. They've really kind of figured things out along the way. Like Victor is a beast. And if they ended up pulling out a win, that would be such a great story. Would be a great story. I don't see it, though, as the story of the season. I I think that that's like a nice story. They end up being the best of the non-racing teams. But I feel like uh, second or third place is in the cards for Nicole Richter. Well, yeah, let, let's do this thing, because I think we did this for Amazing Race 30. Do we want to try to go around the horn and predict who we think Yeah, let's do one, two, three, finish? four. Let's okay. do one, two, three, four. All right. On predictions for, for the end. Um, Mike, do you want to go first? Sure. 
Um, so I'll go I'll go backwards for dramatic effect because that's I guess what we'll see play out over the course of the two hours. I am all about symmetry here. We spoke about uh, we spoke about you know Becca and Floyd finishing in fifth twice, just for the fun of it. I'm going to put the Afghanimals in fourth, mm-hmm. especially with the competition winnowing down. I would not be surprised if you know they have yet another bad leg, and this ends up being the one that really screws them. And for what it's worth. They're going to leave with the leg record. I believe, you know, as of running this next leg, they'll now have reached 33 combined legs across their three seasons, which uh, officially overtakes Rachel. It'll remains to be seen as to whether or not they bring that up, but they do hold the record going into this finale. So I'm going to say Afghanimal's fourth. I agree with you, Rob, about Nicole and Victor. I'm going to put them at third right now because they're running against two teams that will have already you know, raced in a f- amazing race finale. You'd have to assume that they're both uh, more well-equipped for essentially what we talked about before. The final leg is basically running around a city, uh, doing a bunch of different tasks. So you can imagine that they're both well-equipped for that. Whereas I know um, Nicole struggled a bit, particularly during that mountain run in Switzerland. Uh, and I'm going to, ooh, you know what? I'll go with uh, the original winner pick that I made back in June 2018. Give me Tyler and Corey in second and Colin and Christian first. That's what yeah. I would really love to see. The Amazing Race 5 lover in me would love to see a storyline that's 15 years in the making come to fruition. No offense to Tyler and Corey. I really have been enjoying what they've been doing this season. and They make fantastic winners as well, but I, I got to go with my heart here. Okay. So, Mike, I have written down the exact same order that you have, but uh, I don't mind saying that I will be uh, rooting for Tyler and Corey to win it. You know, uh, I, I don't have the nostalgia for Colin and Christy to uh, come and take this, but I do feel like that they are just uh, starting to peak. And I wonder if uh, Tyler and Corey, with all those first place finishes, d- had their peak in the middle or uh, two thirds of the way through the race. And now Colin and Christy are really turning it on here at the end. So uh, I would say, if I had to predict it, uh, I'll say that I think that Colin and Christy are the winners and uh, Tyler and Corey are in second, Nicole and Victor in third. And I agree also on the Afghanimals being the first team out in the two hour show. All right. We're putting well, that, all our eggs in the Colin and Christy basket. And that sounds like the most satisfying story. I think I'm with you both on this. Mike forgot I was on the podcast for a second. <laughs> I, but I, there's one thing that gives me pause about all of that and that there is a moment in the preview for next week where we see Colin and Christy sitting in the back of a helicopter and Christy is kind of losing it and Colin's like wiping away a tear and I wonder if that is like a Guido edit situation where they're so far behind they're out of it. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Could be could be tears of joy. Uh, could be. Could, al- could also be a penultimate leg task as well because i think we saw we saw the helicopter we saw rowing some boats not uh not motoring them so i don't know exactly what's you know final leg and what's not but i mean i i hope again hope of hopes that it's it's happy tears but i do see your point jess that it could very much be construed as well we thought we had this finally and, and it slipped out through our grasp again yeah yeah or it could be it could be like we thought we think we're out of it now but we're gonna come back and win it all which is kind of similar I think that's kind of similar in spirit to what we got in Amazing Race Canada. Without spoiling it, there was a team that 
uh, Dan and I thought initially we're going to win, and then we thought they have no shot of winning, and then they we thought they were out of it, and they came from behind to win the whole thing in the very last leg. And this could be the story we're getting. Like Colin and Christy up near the top of the leg while they're in the, still in the helicopter phase, because let's face it, the helicopter doesn't go to the final mat. They're I'm totally zaprootering this one, like, two-second scene we got (laughs) and they're crying because they think that they're too far behind to make up time and they then they end up like something miraculous happens like tyler and Corey wreck their car and have to wait for a new one and they end up coming in first i don't know (laughs) right now do we think that somebody will be eliminated at the mat in the first hour? Or do you think it'll be one of these like, okay, well, we keep racing and now you go to go to America. You're in fourth place, but you know, you're still in it. Mm, I have I, to assume that's not going to happen. Okay. I don't like it when they yeah. do that. I, I think we moved past. I think they tried that in 25 and 26, but I think the fact that we haven't brought it back is a sim- signal enough that the producers like to try it out, but Bertram's, you know, would rather be a pit stop greeter than to uh, eliminate a team halfway through the final leg. Okay. All right. Anything else about leg number 10 before we are back next week with our finale recap? No, I'm excited. I think these last two legs in particular have been like classic platonic ideal of amazing race. And I'm hoping that we get a finale that's half as good. Okay. Yeah, I I completely agree. I think that much like Colin and Chrissy, I think the season has really peaked the last couple weeks, even though we really did lose a really great entertaining team in Team Fun. And to Jess's point, I agree that it really sucked to see them go out in the way that they did. But I mean, the the entertainment that they brought, Rob, I totally agree with what you said in your exit interview, that they were a delight to watch over the course of this season. And hopefully they come back once more. Yeah, I, I just to reiterate that point about Team Fun, and I think the same thing about Tyler and Corey, too, that what I just love about those two teams is that I feel like that they just embody the spirit of the amazing race. Uh, the amazing race is supposed to be fun and good, and they are up for the adventure, and they are up for whatever task the, the show throws at them. You rarely see them without a smile on their faces, and they're just excited to be there and they're and they're a joy to watch both of those teams and so I, I think that they are a big part of the fun that I've had in covering this season of the race and I, I'm really glad that they came back and I would be delighted to see them on more seasons of the amazing race yeah it really does feel like and just correct me if I'm wrong here that I think we've sort of moved past the eras of amazing race where they were casting teams that brought entertainment but sort of brought these ugly American stereotypes. You know, you're like Freddie and Kendra's, you're Ron and Kelly's. You could even say like you're Nick and Vicky's or you're Chad and Stephanie's from season 17. I think that these teams have a lot of admiration for the race that they're participating in. And that just shows and it reflects outwards in that they're providing a lot of fun moments as well. Uh, they don't necessarily you know, reflect badly on them or the country they're representing outside of running their boats into small children. 
And I love these types of contestants on all of the, you know, uh, CBS uh, Trinity of shows that the contestants that are just, uh, you know, so excited to be there and they play hard because it's their dream to be there and they're they're excited and you can feel their excitement for what they're doing through the TV screen. And uh, I feel like that those uh, teams and people are very easy to root for on these shows. Yeah, and I think we've had a surplus of those teams this season. I can't think of a single team on here that didn't seem like they were having a good time. If they were legitimately excited to be there and not just like collecting a paycheck from CBS because this is their job now. Mm-hmm. All right. With that in mind, let's uh, get ready for the finale. Mike, what do you have coming up? So Survivor South Africa keeps chugging along like a wayward boat train. Uh, we had the Purple Pants badass himself, Bryce Isaiah, Great stopped guy. onto the... Sur- sur- yeah, he was absolutely fantastic. Honestly, bucket list item for me to be able to podcast with Bryce, and he was a delight as always. So uh, Shannon and I are going solo this week, but I'm sure there's going to be another exciting episode of Survivor South Africa to talk about. And uh, got some stuff for post-show recaps in the hopper uh, that should be coming out in the next couple weeks, but uh, more to come on that you know, as the season ends. Okay. Oh, and also, uh, I, uh, uh, I know that the big big brother cast dropped i know rob you have started up your big coverage of it i uh, came out with a preview of the cast and i'll be doing exit press weekly for that as well this season so be sure to check that all that out for parade okay and jess how about you uh well last week i had a piece that i very much enjoyed writing uh for primetimer.com about uh they are in the midst of talking about people that we think should be nominated for Emmys and I wrote about why I think uh, Charlie Barnett should be getting an Emmy nomination for his work on Russian Doll and really enjoyed revisiting Russian Doll and kind of thinking through uh, that character and that role and how much fun that was to watch and then next week I'm going to be doing another piece in that series about the Hulu series Pen15 uh, so that should be landing probably later. What is that about Pen15? Pen 15. Oh, Pen 15? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it is a series. It's about um, the the difficulties of navigating um, the eighth grade in 1999. And the two principal actors are actually women in their 30s who are the creators of the show that have written about their experiences Um in the eighth grade and then they play themselves they are 30 something women playing themselves as eighth graders and then every other one of their peers is also is not an adult but an actual eighth grader so it's an interesting conceit and once you get past the weirdness of that it's a really extraordinarily well-written show oh yeah it's a lot of fun okay and it's very i recommend everybody Anybody who was alive in that era should check it out because it's a great nostalgia trip as well as being like very honest and real. All right, and I've got a lot of coverage up from Big Brother. We did our big draft, as uh, Mike Bloom pointed out on Twitter. Two hours, 22 minutes, and 22 seconds of drafting of the Big Brother 21 cast. So uh, be sure to check that out for our full preview of these new players going into the Big Brother house, perhaps future Amazing Racers, who knows, on Big Brother 21. 
And then, in addition to that, you can also uh, check out my latest edition of Talking with T-Bird, as T-Bird Cooper was able to track down survivor, legend, and icon Stephanie LaGrosa Kendrick. And we uh, chatted with her the other day, and uh, another fun podcast with uh, T-Bird, as uh, T-Bird is still on the hunt for the uh, Survivor alumni that you want to hear from. I am legitimately very excited for that. Stephanie is such a a Survivor historical icon. I know she's sort of been lost to the annals of history with all the memes about filet mignon pizza, but it's so crazy just thinking about how ultra popular she was during you know the the end of the first 10 seasons of survivor going around the bend into the teens to the point where people from guatemala said they legitimately applied for the show because of stephanie so i think her her impact on the franchise cannot be overstated i am super eager to hear exactly what her thoughts are you know on her experience today and just you know where she's gone in the past 10 years since we've essentially seen her or heard from her. Okay, so listen to that one. It's a fun interview. And then next week, we should have interviews with the uh, final four teams, I believe that's uh, what we should be scheduled to do. Again, you never know what uh, who's traveling or what, but that uh, that is the plan that we will have interviews uh, with the winner and the other uh, three teams heading into the finale on next week's podcast. Well, I think what we're going to do... Uh, talking with Scott St. Pierre is that that will be its own podcast and then we will be back with the recap on Thursday night to uh, get back and record. So look for uh, my interviews with the final four teams uh, dropping sometime Thursday afternoon and then we will record our recap uh, Thursday night and then for most of you you'll have that on Friday morning of next week. So be on the lookout for that. Follow Jessica Lee on Twitter. She's at Haymaker Hattie. I'm at Rob Sestrino. Mike Bloom is at a Mike Bloom type Take care, everybody. Have a good one. Bye. This episode of Robin's Podcast is sponsored by our friends over at True Car. Every car comes with its share of stories, like that ding in your bumper when you nervously picked up a first date, that luxury package you got after a big promotion, or the mileage you saved by riding your bike all summer long. Was it a tandem bike? But you can't put a price tag on your stories. Now with True Car, you can at least find out what your car is worth when it's time to sell it or to trade it in. You just go to True Car and simply enter your license plate number and watch how your car's details just pop up. Then answer a few questions. Navigation and moonroof. Watch as they bump up your car's value. High mileage. You already knew it was going to cost you, but now you'll know how much it's going to ding your wallet so you can plan ahead. And once you're finished, you'll get a true cash offer sent in minutes, which you can take to a local certified dealer to cash out or to trade in. So when you're ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, check out True Car today. True cash offer not available in all areas.